is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Hello, Nailers fans. It's DJ Abicella welcoming you into episode two of season two of the Toolbox. Coming up on this week's program, the Newfoundland Growlers, the first year team in the ECHL, are the Kelly Cup champions. I'll talk with their broadcaster, Chris Ballard, to live through all the exciting moments from their championship run. The AHL has also crowned its champion for 2019, while the NHL will need Game 7 on Wednesday night to see who will hoist the hardware. The Pittsburgh Penguins signed a goaltender in the past couple of weeks. I'll tell you how that may impact the Nailers going into the upcoming season and we'll also look at the calendar and tell you what's expected in terms of player moves in the coming weeks. First up is the news closest to home, and last week the ECHL announced its protected list, and I talked about it on the last Toolbox show, that there really weren't going to be a whole lot of surprises on there, so hopefully that's how you took it as well, and that basically gives you the list that Mike Bavis will have a chance to work with when he starts to negotiate contracts, as players can begin signing with teams on June 16th. That will lead up to June 30th, when teams can qualify up to eight players Anybody who's not signed or qualified will then become a free agent. But before we get to that, future considerations deals, that's something that's on the agenda for this week. Those need to be completed by June 13th, and then season-ending rosters are due to the league by June 15th. So that is what we're working with in the ECHL. A couple more just kind of tidying things up to do before we can really dive in full force and start signing the players in the next week or so. I also told you on the last show that I wasn't going to talk a whole lot about player movement with the affiliates, but I felt that there was one that I wanted to at least talk about and get people thinking about it a little bit simply because it involves a position that's real easy to follow as the Pittsburgh Penguins sign goaltender Emil Larmy. And one of the things that I always do, and I have a depth chart in my office throughout the summer because really you just count the numbers and that's how you can start to figure out how the rosters are going to take shape. So Larmy becomes the fifth goaltender signed by Pittsburgh going into the 2019-2020 season. Obviously, you know you have Matt Murray and Casey DeSmith up top. Tristan Jari still has another year on his deal. The Wilkes-Barre Scranton starting goaltender. And then Larmy joins Alex Dorio as two rookies, both under NHL contract. So that likely means that one of those two will be headed to Wheeling to likely be a 1 or a 1A, 1B type of a goaltending scenario during the upcoming season. As I told you at the start of the show, the ECHL season is now complete. The Newfoundland Growlers wrapped up the Kelly Cup Championship with a 4-3 win in Game 6 against the Toledo Walleye. Zach O'Brien, a Newfoundland native, was the Kelly Cup Playoff MVP. While former Naylor James Melindy, he was the captain of that team and he got the cup presented to him by Mr. Kelly himself. Newfoundland was the first expansion team to win a championship in the ECHL since 1990 when the Greensboro Monarchs beat the Winston-Salem Thunderbirds. That was just the second year 
of ECHL existence and also they were the first Toronto affiliate the Growlers were to win an ECHL championship first team to go to a championship as a Toronto affiliate so not just win the thing just to even show up to it and they become the third team in ECHL history joining Mississippi in 1999 and Allen in 2015 to win all of its clinching games on home ice so certainly something for the Newfoundland fans to soak their teeth into in year number one. Speaking of Toronto, I touched on this in the last show, and we're going to talk to it more with Chris Ballard, the broadcaster of the Growlers, our special guest today. I absolutely love the impact that the Leafs and the Marlies had on this championship. 15 out of 23 players under NHL or AHL contract. I think that's great for the league, and I honestly hope it's a model that gets copied by other teams going forward. Few reasons why. Number one, it obviously helps the league with its mission of development. That's something the league has always prided itself on. Brian McKenna, when he was the commissioner, talked about it. You always see the ECHL, how many players they're getting up to the American League and then ultimately the NHL. So the more the NHL has impacts on the rosters here, the more you're going to see that graduation rate increase. So I think that's a big plus. Number two, honestly, it's a business, right? And it saves teams money because the affiliates are paying those contracts. So those players are only counting five twenty-five a week against your cap. So you're saving a big chunk of change when likely because of their talent level, they'd be making a whole lot more. Plus, you're not the one paying it. That comes out of the NHL and AHL team's budget depending on which type of a contract they're on. So that's a huge win when it comes to the ECHL teams. Then number three, you're going to get better players because of that ability to fit them into the cap better. Plus, I want to say that I think players are less likely to hop the pond. You're seeing that more and more going over to Europe if they get an NHL or an AHL deal. So I think that's a really good model of success that Newfoundland used and obviously won a Kelly Cup because of it. So I'm hoping that that is something, this is a copycat sport, right? Everybody says that when you need a high scoring team and they win a championship, that's the model you follow and how can we be more like them? So I'm hoping that's the trend that Newfoundland sets going into this summer as teams start to build going into next season. We'll quickly touch on the two higher levels before we bring Chris in for our interview. In the American Hockey League, the Charlotte Checkers lost game one of the Calder Cup final, but then rattled off four straight wins to take down the Chicago Wolves and capture their first Calder Cup. Andrew Podorowski was the playoff MVP for Charlotte, and the Checkers had the best record during the regular season in the American Hockey League, so they were pretty much a coast-to-coast champion. And on the Chicago side, even though he doesn't win the Calder Cup, still big thumbs up for a nice performance from former Naylor Gage Quinney, who played here during the 2016-17 season. Quinney scored four goals during the playoffs, three of those coming in the Calder Cup Final. In the National Hockey League, the Stanley Cup Final comes down to one game. Game 7 Wednesday night in Boston at TD Garden. The Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues. The Bruins won games 1, 3, and 6, while the Blues won games 2, 4, and 5. It's been a phenomenal series, and it should be a magnificent Game 7. Very tightly played. I'm expecting a one-goal game with a lot of defense in there. I don't think either side's going to run away with it, and they've both been very solid in their own end 
with two terrific goaltenders, Tuka Rask of the Bruins and former Kalamazoo wing Jordan Bennington of the St. Louis Blues. The last time the final went seven was 2011. Oddly enough, the Boston Bruins were the winners of that game seven. That was 4 nothing at Vancouver. Prior to that, it was our affiliate, the Pittsburgh Penguins, winning game seven 2009 at Detroit. Last time a home team won a game seven was 2006 when Carolina beat Edmonton, and that was the sixth straight time that a home team was victorious in a game seven. This week's guest on the toolbox is the newest Kelly Cup champion broadcaster. He is the voice of the Newfoundland Growlers, one of my greatest friends in the ECHL, Chris Ballard. Chris, what a ride. Finished up last week. How's life on cloud nine as a Kelly Cup champion? Well, thank you, DJ, and uh, thanks for having me on. And yeah, it's been it's been an incredible ride. Uh, you know, coming into an inaugural season, as good as the Growlers were in the regular season, you don't ever really expect to go on that magical ride through the postseason and and to finish out on top. Uh, you know, in your first year in existence. So that being said, it's also the first pro championship uh, for the hockey fans in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. So. It's been uh, a wild week uh, getting to celebrate that championship with our friends, our fans, our families, uh, the players, and everything. It's been special. I really I can't put much put it into words. It's been unbelievable. You talk about the history of the hockey in the province, and this is a city in St. John's that had AHL hockey for 20 years with the Maple Leafs and with the Ice Caps, and they also had three years in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League with the Fog Devils. People obviously loved their hockey up there, but how long did it take them to kind of learn and ultimately embrace the ECHL? Yeah, and I think they're still getting there, if we can be quite honest. I think we obviously really hit a peak with our fan base during the finals, that really captivated, uh, you know, uh, everyone uh, down that final stretch. Uh, but all throughout the finals, we're sold out here at Mile One Center in St. John's. And up to that point, we were still building. And because, listen, the fan base has had the rug ripped out underneath it by all those previous teams you just mentioned. So the onus was on uh, us as an organization to really earn them back. And I think uh, the finals run this year, moving into next season, I, I think we're firmly entrenched in the the hockey culture now and the hockey history that exists in this great city and great province. And I think moving forward, uh, you'll see the Growlers become a, a true household name, uh, you know, in this city and province moving forward. Rewinding the timeline all the way back to last summer, they announced that there was going to be an ECHL team in St. John's, Newfoundland. You're a Newfoundland guy, so here's this brand new team in your backyard. You were with the Brampton Beast last season. What did it mean to you when you got that opportunity to first get hired by the team in your backyard and get a chance to go home and call pro hockey? Yeah, I, I mean, that's been probably the most amazing part of this whole thing. It's not only do I, you know, get to do this, what I've been training to do, you know, the last almost five years of my life, but to do so in my own uh, in my own hometown was absolutely special. And it's funny, I, I was... As soon as they announced the team, the team was announced, their membership was announced on my birthday in March. So I was, I knew that had something special was, was coming my way. And then I started emailing the folks who I knew would be involved and, and hounded them for what felt like months. Then I was coming home to St. John's on vacation and told them, I said, you're sitting down and, and you're going to meet with me. I don't care if you just sit me down and then turn me around and walk me right out. But I said, you're going to sit with me and hear me out. And then two weeks later, I was packing up my condo in Ontario, uh, close to Brampton, to move home to Newfoundland. So 
it was uh, it's been a whirlwind year for myself a super exciting finish to the season and and honestly i, I i'm just super thrilled for the folks here in the province that they finally get to you know enjoy a championship and as someone who grew up on on the hockey here uh in newfoundland and labrador i feel like i'm a i'm a fan as, as much as i am a, a broadcaster for this ride it's been it's been so truly special i can't put it into words so they announced the team, and then one of the next steps here in a developmental league in the ECHL is to find an affiliate. And you come up with the Toronto Maple Leafs, who had never had an ECHL affiliate reach the championship round. But, boy, I look at that roster, 15 AHL or NHL contracted players, and really seemed like they had a huge impact on that championship for the Growlers. How did you view the relationship and the impact that the Leafs had on this title? Yeah, it's a great question, and I don't think we'd be having this conversation if it wasn't for the support from the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Marlies. Um, it, yeah, with that many contracted players, they kind of, the Leafs' standpoint, and, and I'll paraphrase, I certainly can't speak on behalf of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they want to use the ECHL AA hockey as an entry point for prospects into their system and truly use it to, um, to borrow the baseball model, use their system at every level, Sometimes that means, you know, your high-end prospects who might not be ready for a top six role in, uh, say, with the Toronto Marlies. Well, then send a guy down here to really cut his teeth, uh, you know, at, and go out and win a scoring championship and, and then move on, uh, you know, with your career. They, they really seem uh, to want to load up at this level uh, to try and uncover a few of those diamonds in the rough as well. So, I, again, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for the Maple Leafs organization. They've been truly fantastic. And, and honestly, it's a model not too unlike what, you know, Wheel and Wilkes and Pittsburgh has had in the past. You know, like, they really saw the benefit in that. Uh, and obviously, a lot of real good wheeling teams over the course of the last 10 years has, has really kind of solidified, you know, your organization and the Growlers. I, I think all the right pieces were in place for our team to find success this year. And, and I know that that's going to be the M.O., moving forward and i'm confident a lot of other teams around the echl and, and maybe even their american league and nhl affiliates are going to see hey the leafs just did it in one year look at what the injection of talent they gave down to the growlers and who knows maybe that kind of jacks up the league uh, you know and the, and the quality of play down here for all of us that's the goal i'm sure from a league standpoint so it's we wouldn't be having this chat if it wasn't for the leafs and we're super thankful for everything that they've done and continue to do uh for newfoundland and labrador hockey there's something else I really enjoyed about your roster, and it's the connection to the locals. You had four players from the province on your roster, Adam Party, Marcus Power, Zach O'Brien, who was the playoff MVP, and then your captain, who we know very well here in Wheeling, a former nailer in James Melindy. Was that a goal for your team early on to get locals on the team who knew what hockey meant to that community and really make that connection with your fan base? Yeah, I think so. I don't think you get four Newfoundlanders on a team like this by accident. And and they weren't just brought in to be, you know, your token local guys uh, who are just here to sell tickets and captivate the crowd. These were guys who obviously all carried their weight. Adam Party was named, uh, you know, Growler's uh, Team Defenseman of the Year in what ended up being his final year of pro. And Adam had never won a championship. So to be able to come home and do that in front of his, you know, home province fans, I know is super special for him. You mentioned James Melindy. He, he was the team captain, the first one to hoist the Kelly Cup for us. Uh, you know, he was, I don't have to tell you what James brings to the table, a lot of grit and tenacity uh, and great leadership skills and all of that. And he's only 24 years old. 
you know, Marcus Power and Zach O'Brien, I dubbed them the super noobs. All year they've been playing on the same line and absolutely ripping it up. Uh, power play, uh, you know, five on five at every, at every turn. These guys were doing a lot of the heavy lifting, and O'Brien obviously is MVP of this hockey club in the playoffs. I mean, that, that kid never stopped amazing me in terms of what he was able to accomplish, and his skill set is absolutely gnarly for this level of hockey. So it's not like these guys were just here as passengers. These guys were, were doing the, the heaviest lifting on this team and so proud to be able to, to represent our home province on the roster itself. Kind of a unique scenario uh, evolved during the season as your head coach, Ryan Klo, left for medical reasons. I was very excited to see Ryan part of the Kelly Cup celebration last week. That put John Snowden at the helm. How did the team stay on track, and did it maybe even light more of a fire under them to perform? Yeah, I know. It wasn't an easy time uh, when you have to make uh, that kind of move with your coaching staff mid-season, uh, in and around, I believe, the holiday break there. But I, I think... The, the biggest thing is that the Growlers, the Marlies, and the Maple Leafs all seem to play out of the same playbook, if you will. So the systems really remain the same. It was just that Snowden really became the, the guy to crack the whip instead of, not to take anything away from either coach, don't get me wrong, but uh, because the systems were pretty consistent in place, uh, you know, from the, the higher-ups, it really made it easy for Snowden to come down and do his job and do it well, and that's exactly what he did to keep the Growlers not only afloat, but keep them, you know, near the top of the conference heading into the postseason and keep that momentum going all the way through. And, and you're right, I, I feel super happy to have been able to see Ryan Klo hoist the Kelly Cup at the end of the day. It was really, he laid the, the framework and the groundwork for what this season ended up being for Newfoundland. And then Snowy took the reins uh, in, in January, I guess, and really ran with it. But Ryan was never too far away always was uh, consulted by the you know the remaining coaching staff and he was never uh, more than an arm's length away still liked to stay involved as much as he could and and really just I we again wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for both of those guys and the imprint that they've had on this organization we really couldn't ask for more uh, in terms of an inaugural season coaching staff uh, especially the way it ended up. I like how you said keeping the team afloat because this was a team that really was at the top of the North Division pretty much from start to finish. So with that, did you notice any hurdles during the regular season that really impressed you, how the team overcame them, or was there a point with all that success that you realized that they might be able to do something special? You know, i am actually been kind of reviewing the year in, in my own mind to see what I thought the turning point was. And I don't know that there's any kind of one galvanizing moment. I just feel like, I think for the first, like, eight games of the year or something, the Growlers had traded wins and losses. So I think they were 4-4 four and four by the end of October, say. And then at that point, they won eight in a row, took over top spot in the, in the division, and really never looked back. I don't like saying stuff like that to make it seem like we were in first forever. But I, I really feel like it's once they figured out how to play together, as a unit, uh, and as a bunch of young guys, too. I think our team was 14 deep in rookies or something silly like that. So once they really bought in together and how to be a pro, and again, a lot of that comes from the coaching staff and, and the direction coming down from the Marlies and Maple Leafs, that was really the turning point. And then you have a handful of games that stick out. You know, there was a 3-3 three and three against Fort Wayne in February that, you know, was really tight playoff-style hockey, the only Western Conference opponent the Growlers had seen all year. 
Then you run through, you know, the, the South against Atlanta, South Carolina, and Greenville it, later in February. Tons of games against Brampton, so we knew what we were going to get into in the first round uh, once we uh, hit the playoffs there. And I don't know, you can look at every month of the year and kind of look at, okay, well, heck, this was a big game, and this was even a bigger game. And they just continue to impress me throughout the year. So there's really not one any given moment. There's just a handful of those micro moments where these kids really learned how to play at a pro level. In the playoffs, you had Brampton in the first round, your former team, overtime game six. Then you got Manchester, bounced them in six. Florida in five for the conference, and then ultimately Toledo in six. You only trailed in a series once, which is incredible. That was one nothing to Manchester. Looking back, which was the toughest series for the Growlers to get through? Brampton. I know that's a crazy thing to say and have so quickly off the top of my head, but that's the truth. Um, when you have a goaltender as good as they had in ATN Marku, it really made it difficult. And, and this is a funny series to highlight because the Growlers did go ahead 3 nothing in that series, and then Brampton absolutely dummied the Growlers in two straight games at the Powerade Center, or CAA Center as it's now called, to force the series back to Newfoundland with Brampton having all the momentum. I think it was like 8-2 to two and then 4-1. to one. Two pretty decisive victories, but then Sam Jardine scored in overtime in Game 6 to end that, and from there, I feel like the weight was kind of lifted off the shoulders of Newfoundland. Had a pretty easy time with Manchester. They won The two games they won were kind of a greasy game one, and then they won a game at a neutral site outside of Manchester in overtime in Exeter, New Hampshire. Really what ended up being, unfortunately for them, their last uh, ever home game or last ever, yeah, last ever home game. And then we came back to St. John's and, and was, was able to complete that one in um, in regulation that time. We actually had a good one. And then the biggest surprise for me, maybe, was the fact that the Growlers were able to handle the rain, reigning Eastern Conference champion Florida Everblades as easy as they were. Um, taking two games in Florida to start that series, really there was no turning back at that point. And then Toledo, I mean, you got to give the walleye credit. They've been a, a stalwart in the ECHL for a long time and, and were a formidable foe, especially in their own building. That the Huntington Center during the finals, 8,500 strong a night was absolutely terrifying. But again, the Growlers were able to, you know, force the series back home to close it back out in front of our home fans. So I would say if I had to rank the toughest opponents, I would say Brampton, just because you don't expect that in the first round, is first, Toledo second, Manch third, and the easiest opponents somehow were the Florida Everblades. That's absolutely crazy. I do like the fact that you somehow managed to win all four series on home ice, becoming just the third team in league history to do that. Did that make it more fun to celebrate with your home fans each and every time? Come on, what a silly question that is. Of course it's more fun to do it at home in front of your home fans. I mean, listen, there were opportunities and moments where this team, I'm sure, would have loved to have gotten it done on the road I'm thinking of Game 5 in Toledo in particular. But, I mean, it's always that much more special when you get the chance to come home and do it in front of your home fans and really have them be a part of your team, uh, you know, in those big galvanizing moments, especially for a brand-new hockey club. So to really be able to captivate the fans with four clinching games at home I think was a massive part of what made the Growlers successful down the stretch. What was it like those final few moments? It was tense, 4-3, to three, holding on, and ultimately you absolutely nailed that final call. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, I had barely eaten leading up to that, 
you know, game six. It was just so nerve-wracking because I'd known. I grew up in this city and knew how close they came before. The St. John's Maple Leafs, ironically enough, in their inaugural season in 91-92, lost at home in seven games to the Adirondack Red Wings. Fast forward to 2013-14, the St. John's Ice Caps went all the way to the Calder Cup Finals against the Texas Stars and lost three games at home in overtime to let that series slip away. So, and I had been a part of, I had been in St. John's for both of those championship runs and knew what it felt like to fell short. So leading up to that, that whole series, I was just a ball of nerves. It was absolutely awful. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. I was waking up in cold sweats in the middle of the night. So to answer your question and come full circle, how was I feeling? I was feeling sick to my stomach, especially because the walleye had the growlers pinned inside their own zone. It was 4-1 to one heading into the third, and they had made it 4-3. So it was really close, really tense. It looked, and then Zach O'Brien, uh, typically a skill guy, lunged in front of a loose puck, uh, was able to get it to the line. His time was running out one heck of a block. And then from there, I, like I said, I had a call kind of prepared because I knew I was going to be an emotional wreck by the time uh, you know the final seconds ticked off. And, and I, I opened up into my call. And after that, you know, myself and my color commentator, who was a longtime play-by-play voice, in St. John's, uh, Brian Rogers worked for the Maple Leafs, worked for the Ice Caps. Just to see his reaction kind of pushed me over the edge a little bit, but it was super special, and it's just been a blur ever since. I, I still just can't believe we had this opportunity to really share in this huge moment, the biggest moment in the province's hockey history. To share that with our fans, with the call that I had was, I, I don't know, I could win a Stanley Cup after this, and I don't know that it's going to be more special than what the Kelly Cup means to this province right now. That's such an incredible story, both for you, for Brian Rogers, as you mentioned, your color commentator, and also for the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Just an unbelievable thing to see work itself uh, work out so perfectly this year, and for you guys to be the 2019 Kelly Cup champions. Ballard, thanks so much for taking some time out of what has really become a busy life for you. I'm sure you're trucking that Kelly Cup literally everywhere you can across the province and I hope that you get a chance to soak all of it in and enjoy literally every moment that is being a champion. No, thank you very much again for having me and for your kind words and uh, yeah, no, doing my best to obviously we get a bit of a late start now prepping for next season but uh, I think yeah, there will be a few vacation days with the Cup in the near future. Big thanks once again to Growlers broadcaster Chris Ballard for joining us on this week's episode of The Toolbox. It's always fun to hear the stories and the experiences. Every team that gets a chance to go to the finals or win a championship has different moments that stick out throughout the season. And just to feel what it's like to live through some of those moments. I know I'll never forget our run to the final in 2016. And ultimately, I would love to see what it's going to be like when this city ultimately gets crowned its pro hockey championship. Kind of similar to St. John's. St. John's started its venture into pro hockey with the St. John's Maple Leafs in 1991. It was a long wait. They went through two unsuccessful finals, like Chris talked about. And then finally this year, they got to go all the way and win the Kelly Cup with that six-game victory over the Toledo Walleye. Enjoy Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final between the Bruins and the Blues. I know I'll be at the edge of my seat as a New England boy, so we'll see where that goes. And I'll talk to you next time on The Toolbox.